So many tie-ins here. You know, between what Jennifer was talking about, what the worship set was, and I didn't plan for any of that, but we do have a spiritual enemy who comes against us. And the word actually tells us not to be unaware of his schemes. Uh, We are not to focus on them primarily. Primarily, we're to focus on what God's plan is because his plan, when we implement it the way he wants it to, will trump what the enemy is doing. Um, And sometimes people say, oh, well, it looks like the enemy got a victory there. Even if he got a perceived victory, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Amen. So the title of today's message is When the Temptation to Give Up is Strong. And then if you happen to be taking notes, you can subtitle that. Verily, verily, I say unto you that it is not as strong as it seems. And I said that little verily, verily there because Jesus would say verily, verily. Now, see, you know, we use the word amen, and it comes from the Hebrew word, which means, which is amin, which means I believe. So it's like if people say amen, you know, amen, amen, however you say it, it means uh, so be it or, you know, yes, or it is true. And that's all true, but it also means I believe. And so, you know, we say things like... Uh, uh, well, someone will make a statement, and then people will say amen because they're saying, I agree, and that's fine. But Jesus, before he would make a statement, a lot of times he would say, amen, amen, and then he would make the statement. In other words, he was, like, he was saying, "What well, you can take this to the bank. What I'm about to tell you is absolutely true, is what he was saying. Okay, And so that's why I said, you know, when the temptation to give up is strong, verily, verily, I say unto you, it is not as strong as it seems. Satan's the one who tempts people, right? He's the tempter. The word calls him that. So let me show you then why the temptation to give up is not as strong as it seems. We're in Isaiah 14. And so uh, look, um, I think I actually, um, yeah, I did this wrong. If you, could, if you could start up there on verse 12, I think I gave you guys the wrong reference. Go ahead and go to verse 12 if you can. Yes. So I'm going to read down from 12 and down to 16. And so it says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Now, Lucifer means light bringer. It's a title. It's not, it was not Satan's name. A lot of people like to say, well, that's his name. Well, no, it's a title that he was stripped of. He is no longer the light bringer. Now he's, uh, now he's, brought, he's brought down. He's brought low. So how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. And I won't get into what all that means right now. That's uh, for a different time. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, talking about Satan, consider him, saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? And I'm going to stop it right there. So this gives us a picture of Satan's highest aspirations. This is what he, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Notice how everything's centered on him. I, 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 I. I will do this. Okay, and Christians can get into that too, where they're like, I will do this. I will do this. And that can cause a problem, you know. But Again, we'll get into that now. But so he tries to overthrow God. Big mistake. He failed miserably. 
He's stripped of his title. He's brought low. Verse 16 said, when we finally see him, us, when we finally see him, what he really looks like, because we don't see, we haven't seen him. When we actually see him, we will be shocked at how unimpressive he is. Okay, is you, is this the man who weakened the nations? You, really? He's he's just really not an impressive looking individual, you know? One of the most uh, deceptive and, and successful tricks he has played is to get people to think he's bigger and badder than he actually is. Because if he can do that, he can intimidate people into doing things they otherwise would not do. Okay, so turn with me here over to Colossians chapter 2. You all with me so far? And, you know, it's like I don't, I, you know, again, I, I don't like to spend a lot of time talking about him because he's really not worth it. But to when you, you know, you can't get to that place without really <laughs> understanding uh, what he actually is capable of. Because he wants us to think he's capable of a lot more than he actually is. Okay, so in Colossians chapter 2, actually I want to read this out of the NLT, so I'm going to find it again, I'm sorry. So I'm going to read this out of the New Living. And this one is pretty, seen a lot of use, it's fallen apart. But I have new ones, I just don't, don't think that I, I, need, <laughs> I need a new one, it's just that I like to use this one. All right, 2 Corinthians, no, Colossians. Well, I guess I'll just ask you all how you are again today. Okay, Colossians 2 in the NLT. And starting in verse 6. It says, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, and if you haven't done that, I suggest that you do that now. You Say out loud, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God's raised him from the dead, and then you will have accepted him as your Lord. Uh, So, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him, like we sang about. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Now, that's important. Remember that statement. You'll overflow with thankfulness because we'll, we'll circle back to that. But verse 8, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Now, that's important that we pass that word spiritual power, so take note of that too. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Now, uh, we talked about that. I mean, Satan's a defeated foe. Uh, He only has authority where people give it to him. But now to understand, well, then if that's the case, then why is all this stuff still going on in the earth? Well, remember that when Adam and Eve fell, uh, Adam's authority that he had been given from God passed over to him. That's why when he told Jesus, all these things that have been given to me and I'll give them to you if you bow down. And Jesus didn't deny that. He just said it's wrong to bow down to you. And so that's why the Bible calls him the little G God of this world because he's still running amok around here. But the thing about it is is that we have authority over him. 
because we are no longer a part of the kingdom of darkness. Once you accept Christ, you're now translated into the kingdom of his dear son, as the word said. So, you, so he has no authority over you unless you give it to him. Uh, but that's important to understand. So uh, that's why it said Jesus is, Jesus is the head over every rule and authority, but he is not, it, we have not come to judgment day yet, so, because as soon as he comes to exercise that authority, that will have to be judgment day. And so there's still people out there who would accept Jesus who have not yet, and so God is giving them time, you see. Okay, so verse 11. Uh, that, none of that was in my message, by the way. I just, it was important to say that. So verse 11, when you c came to Christ, you were circumcised. It has that in quotations. I like that. But not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. That's what makes it possible for people to one day look at Satan and say, Really? You? See, because Jesus made a public spectacle of the enemy when he brought him to nothing. And that in the Greek there, that word translated as disarmed means spoiled. Jesus spoiled Satan and all his demons. That's what the word means when it says principalities and powers. And so Jesus spoiled them. And as in how one nation conquers another and gathers up the spoils or the plunder, he's been plundered. He's been spoiled. Okay? You know, you gather up the spoil, right, after, after a battle. Jesus spoiled the kingdom of darkness. So they, Satan is a defeated foe. Okay? So you remember that Jesus said, see, now, the reason I said all that was to understand because it's like when the temptation to give up seems strong because satan really all he can do is tempt us to give up he can't he he what his devices are is to get people to take themselves out because he cannot physically attack them if he could he would have done it by now jesus says satan has come to you know satan, the thief comes to steal kill and destroy that's his that's his process if people will let him do that in their life but uh Jesus said, I have come so they might have life, life more abundantly. You know, actually, the way the Greek talks about it is like, it's a continual, super abundant life. And it's not just a one time, okay, here's, some, here's the life, and now that's it, you're on your own. It's continually walking in that life that he has provided. And so you, that's, and within that is contained all the promises that he has said that you can ask him for and believe him for, you can petition for, right? <laughs> you know. So what Jesus came to give you, the life that he came to give you, will actually cancel out what Satan wants to do to you. It trumps it because Jesus has authority over all of that. But that cannot benefit us unless we are walking in the authority he has given us, which means walking in him and being in him and living in him. Okay, so what he wants, what Satan wants to do to you, this process of steal and then kill and then destroy, uh, will not happen if you have accepted the life that Jesus has given you and you walk in that truth because that will trump what Satan wants to do. 
And so we have to then take the time to let Jesus' words sink deep down into our heart to the point that it becomes real to you so that you can receive it by faith. That's really what it, 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 I believe. I choose to believe. And last week we talked about that, right? Choosing to believe. You know, in other words, I'm in, a, I'm, I'm, I'm in the courtroom of my life. God comes in and he says, here's a promise. And I, give, I offer no proof because he wants you to believe. Without faith, it's impossible to believe God. And so I have to accept what he is saying as evidence. And then I have to come to a point where I say, I'm going to render a verdict that what God has given me, even though it's not proof, I accept it as, good as, as being as good as proof. Therefore, I am choosing to believe it regardless of what I see. And so that is... Uh, how this happens is that I gather, I gather evidence in here of what he has said is available to me, and I must come to, I must come into agreement with him, because you you don't necessarily automatically agree. Jesus said, I, I, you know, I give you my peace, and it's like, well, I don't always feel my peace. I, don't, I mean, I don't always feel that peace, right? And so it's like, well, then I have to come into agreement with him. I mean, my my physical senses are not in agreement with that. So I must choose to come into agreement with what he has said and submit to what he has said instead of submitting to what my physical senses tell me. All right? Highly controversial stuff, I know, but this is what Jesus said. Whatever things you ask, when you, whatever things you pray, when you, when you ask, believe that you receive it, and you will have it. So Jesus was controversial, right? <laughs> I was talking to a guy one time, and he kept saying, he was talking about his beliefs, and that's fine, you know, and I was like, whatever. But he kept saying, and I, and I don't want to offend you, but, and, and, and I almost, and I wish I had. I almost said it. I didn't say it, but I almost said, Jesus is the one who offends. Because when Jesus says, I am the only way, that's offensive to people. Jesus is very controversial. And he makes no apologies for being that way. Because he is who he is. He can't deny himself, so... Anyway, the power of the enemy has been spoiled by our Lord, our commander, if you will. You know, what an awesome Lord we have. And so, what can Satan do? He has no legal right to try to take anything from you. That's the whole point of being a thief. A thief has no legal right to do what they're doing when they, when they steal something. So, Satan has no legal right. It's implied in the title. He's a thief. So therefore, he's got no right to do what he's trying to do to us. And so, since he can't attack us physically, he must resort to what he used on Eve in the garden. You know, he'll bring thoughts that get us to question God and question ourselves. The serpent's question to Eve was, has God said that you cannot eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden? The question was designed to bring Eve into the realm of debate. Eve answered, we can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but we can't eat of the fruit from the tree of the middle of the garden. Okay. And she said, then she said, and God told us that we can't, you know, don't eat it, don't, don't even touch it, which God didn't say that. He just said, don't eat it. So there's a chink in the armor there. Okay. And so she's like, the day we eat it, it will die, right? You remember his answer? You won't die. Well, that's a half-truth. She wasn't going to die right away physically, but as soon as she ate it, she died spiritually. And then she began to die physically. So it's a, 
It's a half-truth. He's like, you won't die. But then what did he say? God knows that when you eat of it, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. You know? And so that statement was designed to do two things. One, its purpose was to get Eve to question herself. Eve, you're not good enough as you are. You can have more than this. You can be more than this. You can know more than this. You'll be, then you'll be better than you are right now. Implying that what God had provided her was not good enough. So you see how feeling inferior, it's weird to me. I've talked to people for, for decades. You know, it's like you, you f- feeling inferior and being prideful are strangely connected in like a weird way that I haven't been able to quite discern yet. If Satan can't get people feeling bad about themselves, then he will try to get them feeling superior to others. Because he's got a checklist of what he does. He's very methodical. And we get, we uh, tend to, because we feel emotions so, um, what's the word? Thank you. Vividly. That was an awesome. Thank you, Rachel. We feel emotions so vividly that we don't a lot of times stop and consider how methodical the enemy is being because he's just going down a checklist. Okay, well, that didn't work. Let's try this on him. Well, that didn't work. Let's try this on him. Well, that didn't work. Let's try this on him. And now, oh, that worked. Okay, now we've got a whole thing to do. Down, that we've got a checklist down here underneath this item. And that's what he does. And so um, the other thing that the statement that he made it was designed to do was to drive a wedge between Eve and God. By getting Eve to doubt that God really had her best interests in heart. Eve, God's withholding something from you. What's the next thing? That's not fair. People, that's a big thing these days, right? That's not fair. And then when you say fair to who, people go, (sighs) they don't want to answer that. But it's like, you know, you won't die if you eat this fruit. God knows that in the day. In other words, God is the one who is in the wrong because he knows that if you eat this, these benefits will come. And there really wasn't any benefit to it at all. So what's he saying? Eve, God has withheld from you. A lot of people think that God's withheld things from them. When in actuality, what he's done is he's made, I mean, let's just, I mean, all the other promises are built on this principle, but let's start with salvation because that's something that all Christians can agree on. God has made salvation available, but he's not going to force it on anybody. Because that would be unfair. (laughs) See, what Satan does since he can't directly attack us is that he gets people into wrong thinking about things in order to get them to take themselves out. Like I said earlier, I've found that many people die young because of their own decisions. You know, a lot of people like to say, well, you know, God's got his time that that he's going to take people, and I don't really see that in Scripture. I believe he receives people. But his, his charge to the Israelites was, do everything I'm telling you so that you will live a long life, implying that the length of their life is dependent upon them. Now, in the, Eve, in the end, Adam and Eve ate the fruit willingly. 
Did they not? Now remember, I'm, I'm talking to you about temptation. Specifically the temptation to give up. But I feel that you know, we've, got, we've got people in the church now who are being tempted to give up as I speak. And I want to address the issue. That's why I'm bringing it up. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Have I got you thinking? Think God's thoughts, not the devil's thoughts. Chapter 10, down to verse 13. Again, I'm going to read this out of the NLT. He says, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Have you ever felt alone in the temptation? It's like, man, I must be the only one who's struggling with this. But he's like, everybody's struggling with this. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. He has restrained or limited what Satan can do as far as temptation goes. Because if he didn't do that, the implication is, is that it would be more than we can stand. But God has put a limiter, if you will, on Satan. Really in a lot more areas than we realize. But, I mean, just the fact that he can't physically harm us, I believe God has a, is like, don't do that. You'll be in trouble if you do that. Remember, he had to ask permission to do that to Job. Remember that? He, he couldn't do it. He said, you set a hedge of protection around him. I can't, I can't touch him. God's like, well, that's right, you can't touch him. That was the purpose of the hedge. I heard Tim Hawkins one time making, he's like, we, we say, we use Christianese, you know, it's like we tell people who don't necessarily know what we're talking about, I'm praying for a hedge of protection, or it's a hedge, is the way he put it, you get a hedge, and like people don't understand that, but I think it's best to explain it to him, I'm going to ask God to protect you, okay, <laughs> just, anyway, so he's like, uh, he says, God's faithful, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out. So that you can endure. Well, he himself, I mean, seek him and he'll show you the way. But James, submit to God. Then resist the devil. And he, believe me, I've tried to resist the devil before without submitting to God. And I'm like, it's not working. Well, yeah, you got to submit to God. And it's like, you, feel, you realize I'm being tempted with whatever it is. And then it's like, so we react and try to do something about that. But the best thing to do is step out of the situation for a second and say, God, I'm coming to you. And I'm submitting to your authority in my life. And then, that's when you say, okay, I'm taking every thought captive to the lordship of Jesus. You know, Every high thing that exalts itself against God. Remember the scripture? So the temptation to give up is included in this. In this, uh, in this, because he said all temptation. He will not allow it to be more than you can stand. More than you're able to bear. Okay. And so... Uh, have you ever given up on a project or a job because it was just easier to give up? I'm actually asking. I have. You know. See, a temptation that isn't something you truly desire would not be much of a temptation. Right? Sometimes you have, you, you've been fighting something so long that it seems like it would just be so much easier to just give up and walk away. 
And so, of course, Satan will tempt Christians to do that. That's the whole point of persecution. That's the, of being digitally attacked, right? We want you to give up. We want you to stop what you're doing, right? And so, uh, in ancient times, you know, Christians suffered many terrible things. It, it, and the point of it was to try to get them to renounce their faith in Christ. You know, give, give, all this pain would stop if you would just, you know, we won't feed you to these lions if you would just renounce Jesus. And it's tempting because the pain would stop. They'd just give up. Now, where we live, that kind of persecution doesn't exist. So Satan then brings thoughts and troubles and trials. I've, you know, I've, I've, I've uh, just the other day I talked to someone and they were talking about, well, you know, God is testing me. It's like, well, the Bible says that God doesn't tempt anybody. Maybe you're going through a test that that's God is allowing, but I, you know, it's kind of a gray area there. But it's during those times that um, Satan will challenge us or challenge the way that the Bible teaches us to think. Because the Bible teaches us how to think. And in the struggle to get you to give up, Satan will try to get you to accept gray area thinking where black and white thinking should be in your mind. What do I mean by that? Well, I'll give you an example. God tells Adam and Eve, do not eat this fruit. If you do, you will die. That is a very black and white statement, right? Okay. Don't eat the fruit equals live. Eat the fruit, you know, uh, equals die. That's black and white. About as black and white as it can get. But then Satan comes along and asks, is this really what God meant? You see what I mean? You see, it's, it's, it's like, let's, let's debate this. Let's talk about this. Let's bring this over into a gray area. But you cannot, if you, if you, if you assign a gray area thinking to where black and white thinking should be, you run into problems. Just like when you try to take black and white thinking and put it where a gray area should be. Paul talk, I talked about that in, in the same First Corinthians and uh, chapter eleven, where he talks about food offered to idol. I mean, food offered to idols, and there were people that were like, "If I eat the f the f the food that's been offered to an idol, I'm in sin." And Paul's Paul's like, "No, no, no. All that stuff was taken care of at the cross." But he said, "I will not eat food that's been offered to idols." In other words, he had he understood he had freedom to do that, but he understood that it's a gray area. And so he was like, I'm not going to assign black and white thinking and just eat this food in front of these people who are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real because then they might do it just because they saw me do it and they have no faith to believe that that is okay. And so then they fall into sin because they're doing something that they believe is wrong. And so you can't take this black and white. It's like when people spend all this time saying, oh, well, you can't, you can't go see R-rated movies. The Bible doesn't specifically say that. So if you make that, that's a gray area. If you try to make that into a black and white area, you're going to make people stumble. But the same thing applies. If you take gray area thinking and you apply it to what God has said is right or wrong, and you try to say, ah, it's right sometimes. See, now you're going to get into trouble there too. And so there's ways to think that the Bible gives us. And so, you know, there is a place for gray area thinking in our lives. The weather is always changing. Gray area thinking is acceptable 
when we talk about the weather because that is something that is subject to change. But when God makes a statement that is obviously not changeable, gray area thinking is not acceptable there. And if Satan can get us to question those areas, he has succeeded in getting us to go down a path where we are questioning ourselves and God. Really, it's pretty simple. His strategies are pretty simple. One of the ways that Satan does this is by magnifying the trials in our lives. Because again, emotions run high. We feel emotions really vividly. And so if I make a decision based on just an emotion and not this, then I can get into trouble. And that's what he's looking for. Satan tries to get people to react rather than respond from the word. You know, you're going through a trial in your life. It's common to not sense God's presence as well as before. So this is my example. If you make a confession like like this, I thank you, Lord, that Jesus told me he would never leave me nor forsake me. That's a Bible-based confession. And so as long as you hold on to that confession of faith, you're doing well. But those times, in those times, have you ever encountered a thought that was something like, why can't you feel God's presence right now? You used to be able to feel God's presence. Maybe it's something you did. How can you call yourself a Christian if you can't even sense his presence? You, and, you know, and then he might say, you, you, you look at all these other people with, around you. They don't have that problem. You're all alone. They seem to know that God is with them, so what's wrong with you? And, and on and on it goes, right? On and on and on. Merry-go-round of doubt. And so you've experienced something like this too, yes? I think we all have. The Bible just said we did right here. The temptations you're, you're, you're experiencing are no different than the temptations other people experience. And so that's why it's so important for you to know who you are in Christ. If you are not in Christ, like I mentioned earlier, say out loud, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart. God's raised him from the dead. Romans 10, 9. You'll be saved. That's the easy part. <laughs> but see, then you can mean it when you say, Jesus told me he has given me authority over snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. I didn't say that about myself. He said it about me. That's, and so I'm going to take, I'm going to come into agreement with him and say, okay, this is black and white thinking in this area, and I will not doubt it. I can render the verdict. I can choose to believe. Amen? So don't waste your time trying to cast out thoughts. I've talked to Christians. Oh, I casted out that thought. No, that's not what the Bible said to do. The Bible doesn't say to cast out thoughts. It says to take them captive to the lordship of Jesus and leave them there. And what you do when you're doing that is you are saying, I refuse to think that kind of thinking. And so any other thought, any variation of that thought that falls under that umbrella, all of it is subject to Christ. I refuse to think after that manner. Hmm. In other words, you know, I, me personally, I encounter a thought that says, why do you waste your time writing sermons? People don't really want to hear any of this. Maybe you should write things that are maybe more what people would want to hear. 
you know, my response is I refuse to give in to that kind of thinking. I'm taking every thought captive to the feet of my Lord, and I'm going to teach what I believe God's telling me to teach. And then I, I move on, regardless of how I feel about it, and I, I count it all joy. In that trial, because it's another opportunity that pro to prove that God's word works. Kenneth Hagin used to say it all the time, just another opportunity to prove God's word works. I'm just going to praise God, because I can thank him that I now have an opportunity to prove out what the Bible says about it. Now, see, I want you, I want you to think about this now. Uh, if God himself makes sure that the temptation is never more than you are able to, 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 to bear, that means that every battle you have with temptation is a pitched battle that skews in your favor. God has seen to that. Jesus has spoiled the power of Satan. He has personally ensured that you can have victory against any temptation you will ever encounter. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Praise be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Jennifer mentioned it a little while ago. We always win. If we stay true to what God has said to do. Otherwise, there would be no reason to pray. So God wants you to win, and he has made that possible. Don't allow Satan to talk you into putting gray area thinking where God has said that black and white thinking should be. If Jesus told me that he would ever leave me nor forsake me, I can't doubt that. I must decide to believe that it's possible for him to be with me when I cannot sense his presence. If he says, I am more than a conqueror in him, I must choose to believe that and not doubt it. If he says I can do all things in him because he strengthens me, I must take him at his word and not enter into the realm of debate about it. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's his language. We talked about that. Language. Faith is his language. And there's people, there's Christians, God bless their hearts, and we pray, uh, pray for them, but they go to God in doubt and ask him, you pray the prayer of consecration about things that God has told you to do. Okay, Lord, I will, um, I will hand the business over to somebody else and I will go back to college because I believe you're telling me to. If, and I will do this if it be your will. If there's a different way. Now, that's the prayer of consecration. And if it be your will is, is, is acceptable there. But if he has already told me that he is with me, it's not right for me to go to him and say, Lord, please be with me if it be your will, because I am doubting the fact that he has already told me I will be with you and never leave you nor forsake you. And so there's many Christians who come to him and they're talking to him, but they're not speaking his language. And so they wonder why they're not getting what they're asking for, but, but he doesn't respond to that language. Am I getting in trouble now here? <laughs> so the reason that this is an issue is because we do not... Is this my phone? Oh, okay. It's brand new. I haven't said anything in it yet, so I might be interrupted by my own phone right now. <laughs> so we're embarking on an adventure. 
The reason that this is an issue is because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age. But those are the same things that Jesus has spoiled. So the only way to have victory over them is to stay in Jesus because he's the one who defeated them. That's why he always causes us to triumph in Christ. And Jesus said, if you allow my words to abide in you, you know, I and you, you and me, allow my words to abide in you, then you're in him. This is why, though, the temptation to give up can be so strong, because Satan's goal through his temptations is to get us to doubt ourselves and drive a wedge between us and Jesus, because he knows that we have no victory without Jesus. Turn with me to Isaiah 61. I think I'm getting close to being done. I'm already 10 10 minutes over. I said a lot of things I didn't intend to say, so but it just seemed like they needed to be said. Isaiah 61. We read this passage fairly often. This is the prophecy Jesus spoke before he was born about what he was going to come and do. Actually, I'm going to read this out of the New King James, and it's, uh, I'll find it quick, don't worry. This Bible is not falling apart, so. Isaiah 61. Verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is what Jesus came to do for us. And it's, it's all, it is all available for you to receive by faith because he said, this is what I was anointed to do. And so uh, I want to draw your attention specifically here to verse 3 because this deals with what we're talking about today. The temptation to give up. Okay. Look at verse 3. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. And here we go. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. A spirit of heaviness, if allowed to stay on a person, becomes a strong temptation to give up. It changes a person's perspective of their own circumstances. It changes their perspective of themselves, and and it changes their perspective of God for the worse. If you talk to people who are stuck in a a, a depressed state, they don't really see things as they really are. They see everything in a negative light, and they may be trying to get out of that, but but it's like they're stuck. And so they're like, oh, this, this is wrong, and this is wrong with me, and this is wrong. And the people around them are usually not sure what to do because they're like, it's really not as bad as you think it is. But they really don't know what to say to help them to get out of it. And so uh, the, the, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that's what, that is what God has prescribed for a spirit of heaviness. So if you ever perceive that you are, have, are, are, are struggling with a spirit of heaviness or you've stumbled into one or one's just come upon you or whatever it is, the, know that the prescription or the prescribed way to counter it that God has given us is the garment of praise. And, he, and 
I love how he illustrates this because a, a garment is something that you can put on regardless of how you feel about it. You can, regardless of how you feel about anything in your closet, you can walk over and you can put that on. Tammy Fult, she had a really nice looking gray shirt on this morning and she said, and she, she put on uh, uh, a yellow sweater she had. She's like, is this weird? It looks like it feels weird. It's like, it looks like it's weird. But she, and she, she, she ended up changing her entire outfit. That's fine. I don't, that's not the point. The point is, is that she put it on, decided she wanted to take it off or decided she shouldn't have put it on in the first place. And yet while she was coming to that decision, she was still wearing it. Praise is something you can put on regardless of how you feel in the moment. 